Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning service to you each and every week. Whether you're a longtime follower of Christ or just beginning to explore who Jesus is, we invite you to join us as we dive deep into God's Word and what He has to teach us today. So listen in as we jump into what God has in store. Well, um, one, of the, one of the fun things about this series is not only that we are working through a couple different passages of Scripture talking about what it looks like to live and love, but every week as we gather, uh, we get to hear from somebody uh, from one of our campuses. And, and all of the individuals that you're hearing from are, are folks, at least one of the spouses are on staff at Rolling Hills. And so this morning, uh, I want to introduce you to Mike and Angela White. And Mike uh, serves in finance and operations uh, I'm going to do the same joke that I did earlier because I think it's really funny. I, you serve as the cuckoo. Is that what it is? The chief cuckoo. C, the CFO. You have to turn on the mic there, Mike. <laughs> All right. Um, but, he, um, but he serves and, and is faithful and one of my favorite folks on staff. You've been on staff for about a year and a half, but I've known you for longer than that. Uh, and God just has, has blessed my life. Uh, and, and bringing these two into it. And so uh, thank you guys for all that you do. And, and one of the, we, we just, there's three questions we ask, they're the same questions every week. And we start with the question of, of how did you meet? And so uh, I, we'd love to hear a little bit about uh, how you guys met. Well, great. Thanks for, thanks for having us here. Uh, yeah, we, we met all the way back in the 1900s. And, uh, Before was, color uh, television. Was, yeah, yeah. Pre-cell yeah. phone, which is a great time of our life. So uh, uh, we were part of... Um, First Baptist Church in Nashville, Angela grew up there. I attended there as soon as I graduated college and uh, and started meeting her. And we that was back when you had a singles ministry. I don't think they call it that. Maybe that's politically incorrect. I don't know. Now, yeah, so. I, yeah, I'm not touching that one. So, uh, so, that one so I was in, kind of in charge of doing events for the group. And I had my eye on this young lady right here. And she... Um, and I decided to pull together a day trip to go skiing in East Tennessee. And so I talked her into that. Reluctantly, she accepted. And we went on a trip, and she, she skied, I skied. And on the way back, we started a conversation and uh, decided to ask her out uh, as soon as we got back. And that was all going great. And I, uh, it was time for me to make my move after a few, after a few dates. And, and I asked permission to get a kiss from her. And she laughed at me. <laughs> and, and she's uh, still laughing at you. And, uh, is what it looks like. <laughs> I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And she, um, but I recovered from that and we were able, we were married and uh, we have a daughter who's 26. And as of last September, we, we celebrated 30 years of marriage. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, and, and congratulations. I know some of our um, single folks may be planning ski trips. That's apparently the way to meet. <laughs> the way it works. And you got to make sure you have skills because I've heard your skills on the slopes are epic. Uh, that's pretty that's Yeah, pretty that's awesome. a way to put it. I think it, we have yeah. a video of that. No, I'm <laughs> yeah. just joking. There's, pre, there's pre video recorders. They didn't have that back then. Anyway, um, so a little bit one of those other questions. And, and you know, these guys are, are folks that have lived life and uh, have, have real trials and, and joys. So want to hear just some of the real life experience. So what are some of the joys and even some of the challenges that you've experienced in marriage? In sure. Years? Yeah. Um, I'll take the first one, the joys. Okay. So I think a really big joy in marriage is truly just having that life partner, mm. that, that built-in best friend that you can come home at the end of the day and just be totally real with, laugh with and cry with and um, just really do life with. And for us being married 30 years, you know, I feel like we've put in the work, we've put in the time, and now we're kind of, you know, we're reaping the benefits of that because it's, 
It's easy with each other. Not easy all the time, because it's not. We still have challenges and difficulties, and things don't go the way we want them to. But, you know, together, the, the hard times are easier and the joys are sweeter because we're just facing it all together. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'll take the challenges, because yep. I, I guess I am the expert at the challenges. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the challenges is, um, it, it, just to be simple about it, it's, it's me and it's her and it's us. And we start turning inwardly and f focusing on ourselves uh, when, when we get fatigued and stressed and life comes at us hard and then it's just easy just to, to go inward and we forget about each other and the fact that we, we, we strengthen each other. Yeah. So it's, it's when, when it's the best is when, when it's Philippians chapter 2, when I consider her the be better part of me, when I consider her better than me, and I serve her, and it's, a, it's, a, it's about her, and I take my eyes off of me, and I put it on to her. And she does the same. She takes her eyes off of herself and puts it on to me. Um, that's the challenge. And, and try to keep, how do you keep that in front of ourselves and continue to pursue each other and date each other and intentional, be intentional about our relationship yeah. and don't take it for granted after 30 years that it's, she's just always there it just we just got to stay focused. Yeah, that's that's the challenge. Well, and that, and that kind of leads us into that next question. How in thirty years of marriage, and I'm sure you haven't done this perfectly, but how have you kept Jesus as central or center of your marriage? What, what have been some of the tools and tricks of the trade that we can we can learn from y'all's experience? Um, early on in our marriage, we went to a couples retreat, and at that retreat, we were tasked with creating a family mission statement. Mm -hmm. Um, so we, we went home and we did our little bullet points and made one. Um, and I just remember, and that was a long time ago, but uh, one of the bullets was church is not an option. Yeah. And what we meant by that was um, when we'd roll up to the weekend, it wouldn't be, do we want to go to church? Do we not want to go to church? Would we rather do something else? And, you know, not that church necessarily makes Jesus to be part of your marriage, but through that commitment to attend church uh, week in and week out. We were able to study the word together, pray together, worship together, um, have lots of opportunities to serve, be in Christian community with other believers um, and all those things. And then as we continue to grow closer to God, that helped us to grow closer to each other. That's awesome. Yeah, through that discipline, which was great. I'm, I'm, I am the CFO, and I'm a rule follower. He's making fun of me right now. Just kind of, an, I am a nerd. That's correct. Uh, uh, that discipline, through that discipline, which was intentional and it was good and it was, it was the right thing mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. There, it formed us much more into a relationship with Christ. We surrounded ourselves with with believers. We surrounded ourselves with people who who, who thought our way. Not that we didn't allow non-believers in our life, but it just we created community that was very important yeah. that helped us and encouraged us to seek out a relationship with Christ. And so, as we grew in that faith, we grew in a relationship with Christ and with, with a re relationship with God. That, that just helped us become just stronger, or spiritually deeper. Uh, so that, that focus of on each other is good. I mean, when I focus on her, she focuses on me is good. But her, her view of me is, is different than my view of her. As we look at each other, we see something different, and it's all good. But when we turn and put our focus on Christ, we're looking at the same thing. We're, we're, we're looking at the same Christ. We're looking at the same God. 
and we're much more aligned when we're progressing toward Jesus, when we're progressing in our faith toward him, we do nothing but get closer through that. So that growth to Jesus is through the discipline of the church, moved us into our relationship closer to Christ, which just brought us together. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Will you guys give these guys a round of applause? Thank you all so much. Y'all have been such a blessing. And I know it's not over. Y'all are going to continue to bless many people. Uh, And so, hey, as as we transition, a couple things I want to make sure you were reminded of. In the back, there's the the, uh, Live and Love table, which has lots of resources for marriages. Uh, And and really, I I said this a couple weeks ago, the reason why we are doing this series is because uh, we believe in relationships. We believe that they're valuable, that at all kind of levels, that, that relationships are valuable. Uh, and, and specifically, the marriage relationship is, is incredibly important. And we, rather than being um, kind of responsive to, to issues and things that are kind of coming up, we wanted to be proactive and say, hey, listen, we, we need to take marriage seriously and we need to, to strengthen our marriages. And so that's why that's back there. That's why we decided to have this, to, to walk through this series because we built, believe just in, in light of where things are in our culture. And uh, then we need, to, we need to be reminded of the value that God puts on marriages and, and join him in that. So, um, so we're, we're continuing this week. Uh, if you have your worship guide, there's no, um, there's no fill in the blanks this week. I gave you a lot of freedom. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I'm not bound by your oppressive lines and outlines. Some of y'all don't know what to do with all that freedom. I don't know. Just have a good time. You know, draw something if you need to. You can write an extra note and put it in the, I need to stop that joke. Um, but you know, obviously, we want you to follow along and feel free to kind of take notes as you will. But we'll have all the scriptures on the screen here. But we've walked through a couple things. We talked about what is love. And last week, we talked about how do I grow in love. And next week, we'll kind of wrap up with leaving a legacy of love. This week, we want to talk about what it looks like or what, where can we find real love. And the text that we're going to go to is Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to say this kind of from, from the outset. I I believe that the very simple answer to where I can find real love is in obedience to God's design for relationships. That just clearly, like if we're going to find real love, the real love that our culture is looking for, that that we're uh, that our hearts are searching for, it's going to be within the the kind of not not the oppressive boundaries, but the the freeing boundaries of what God's word tells us about where we find and how love works. And we're going to walk through a passage of Scripture that, that I believe is, is, a, is a hefty passage of Scripture uh, and, and want to, you know, invite you just to kind of maybe, maybe it's one of those places where you just say, I'm going to, I'm going to trust and, and trust God's word today more than I trust my understanding of certain things. So we're going to begin. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to, to, to follow along. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to offer one to you. There's some in the foyer, um, and you're more than welcome to have one of those. And it can be your own. It'll be a gift uh, for you today. But here's God's word, beginning in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit, to your, submit yourself to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, and Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now the church, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their own husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, husbands ought to love their wives as, one, as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each, however, each of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to your word and we recognize we say this almost every week. We recognize that your word is an authority over us, that we're not an authority over it. And there are times that we don't understand your word necessarily, but in those moments, God, we want to recognize as it is authority over us that, that our lack of understanding is not because of the lack in your word, it's because of lack of our understanding. It's lack in us. So there are certainly times that we don't get it we don't understand, maybe we want to push back or maybe because of, maybe because of our cultural raising or things that we've, that we've walked through or experienced, God, we want to bristle against things that come up in your word. But we want to recognize that it is an authority over us. And we believe you understand better what it looks like to live and love than we do. And therefore, we want to submit to your word and trust you so help us this morning. I know that, that God, I know that for, for many of us, it, that will not be easy to hear some of the things that your word says this morning. Maybe we have preconceived notions to it. And so God, I pray that you would be gracious to us this morning and help us to hear from you and understand that God, you know best and you want the best for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. I think the first thing that we've got to do and, and we, I try to do this every week when we go to God's word, but specifically when we come to a passage like this, the first thing that I think we've got to do is we've got to establish the context. I don't know about you, the dads, maybe you've been through this before, moms as well. You've walked into your house, and I, I, there's been countless times I can, I can call that I've walked into my house where there's an all-out brawl happening inside the house between my kids, and, and, and I just jump in. And I'm going to solve the problem because I'm dad. But I have zero context for what's happened or what has happened, what's brought us to this point. What I, I may not have context, but what I do have is the ability to lay the smack down, right? I am good at that. Now, I can lay the smack down and have, and, and again, in the process of that, I might hurt somebody because I don't have context for what's actually going on. Not hurt somebody physically, more emotionally, because I'm not listening and I, okay, because I'm not going to actually elbow anybody when I lay the smack down, right? So just hear that. That's recorded. I've never, blah, blah, okay. But the point is that, that understanding when I, when I walk into those moments, in, in order to bring resolution and peace, I have to have context for what's going on. Context is key for resolution to happen, for peace to be restored in the house. And so when we come to a passage like this, the principle of context has got to be priority for us. Because listen, I think this is a, every, scripture, every scripture text has a context. 
All right, every scripture text has a context. And in order to understand and understand a specific text, it has to be kept within the context of the scripture. Right, and so let me work this out just a little bit just so we understand it, right? I can walk into Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, and I can read that passage and out of context, I can use that passage to do horrible things in relationships. But inside of context, when you understand the context, not only of the scriptures that surround it, which is the initial, the immediate context, but the letter that it sits within, and then the Bible that it, is, that is, that it all sits within, when I understand the context of those things, it's not, it's not oppressive and, and, and heavy-handed, it's beautiful. And so we've got to establish the context and understand what's going on in Scripture. And, and I, I believe specifically for this passage, this is one of those passages when you read chapter, chapter 5, specifically verse 22, it, it's one of those passages that you read and a lot of times people bristle and we call it chauvinistic and we think it's outdated because of our culturally advanced society. But the reality, and, and also because, because it's been used in some very horrible ways, but in reality, if we look at the immediate context that this passage sits within, a much more beautiful picture emerges. Let's just go back to verse 21. Listen to what it says there. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, a lot of times in the, in the Bibles that we read, that at some point they put, started putting these headings inside there. And, and for, some, for some reason, a long time ago, they put the heading about marriage and, and, and instruction for marriage, they put that heading at verse 22. When really, and a lot of you, maybe you're looking at your Bibles right now, if it hasn't been moved, it should be moved, and the best place for that, that heading to be is verse 21. Because it's the beginning of this whole thing, this whole story about what we look at and how we understand marriage and, and, and the relationship between a husband and wife. It begins with this verse, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then if you go on the other side of this beginning passage that is, has caused so many people to bristle and have problems with the scriptures and blah, 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 blah. If you go to just the other side of verse 25, listen to what it says there. It said, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, the context of verses 22, 23, and 24 sit within a beautiful passage of a mutual submission and a godly headship, leadership of the home that is servant-hearted and laying his life down out of reverence for Christ. I talked to one of the pastors at Rolling Hills who recently did a wedding and the couple asked them to do, to write their vows and they would just read them. And, and, and on the wedding day, as she, as, the, as the, the bride was reading the vows, he realized that she had not read them before that moment because she was reading Ephesians chapter five, verses 22. And she, you could see face begin to get red and she did not like what she was reading because she didn't understand ultimately that what she was reading was scripture and it was a beautiful picture of relationship, not an oppressive picture of relationship. But we have this response. You kind of keep going. You kind of pull back a little bit. It's not just inside this marriage relationship with husbands and wives. You kind of pull back. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes again. He says, but, but I want you to realize that, every, that the head of every man is Christ. And the head of every woman is man. And the head of, head of Christ is God. 
So in this, in this passage, in 1 Corinthians passage, there's, there's all over the place, there's these mutual submissions that happen. Husbands, wives to husbands, husbands to Christ, Christ to God. And you, go, you keep going in, in, verse, in, in Luke chapter 22, verse 42. And then we don't have time to work through Trinitarian theology right now. But here's, here's what it says. Jesus tells us that he submits to the Father. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, the second part of the Trinity at creation, he is, he is fully God submits to the Father in his teaching and in all things. Now, that doesn't make God a tyrant. And it definitely doesn't make Jesus oppressed. It's a beautiful relationship and, 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 the, and the different roles within the relationship. And so what we understand when we read Scripture and, and, and see this, this picture here, that it's not a difference in equality, that it doesn't imply an in inequality, that they're valued less because they're in, they have different roles It's that they have different roles, and therefore when they function in those roles, the value is raised. That we are not less because we have a different role within the relationship. Because I submit to the Lord, because Jesus submits to God, doesn't mean he's valued less. He's still God, fully God. It doesn't make God a tyrant. It doesn't make Jesus oppressed. It makes the relationship beautiful. And it tells us even in in Philippians chapter 2 and what Mike referenced a second ago, that Jesus himself himself submits to us. That that in the relationship with one another had the same mindset of that of Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality of God something to to be his own vantage or something to be grasped. Rather, he made himself nothing, becoming a servant to who? To us. Jesus submitted to us. And it's a beautiful relationship. And so we understand when we see this word submit, I get it. It's bristles in our community, in our, in our culture. We bristle against it. But when we understand it within the context of the passage, in the context of the letter, in the context of all of Scripture, we understand that it's a beautiful picture of relationship, not an oppressive picture of relationship. And when we understand the context, when we get the context right, it allows us to embrace the counsel from the Scripture. So the second thing that I want us to see is that after we establish the context, we get to embrace the counsel that we find in the scripture. And the first thing, the first one that Paul speaks to in this passage is to the wives. Again, verse 22, wives, submit yourself to your own husband as to the Lord. There's two things I want us to hear from this passage. And God, d- dudes, don't tune out during this part because there's some, really, there's some things that you need to hear in this as well. For the wives, there's two things I want you to hear, that it's a willing submission and it's a worshipful submission. Now, worshipful is going to sound weird, but we're going to get to it in just a second. So let me, let, me, let me unpack this willing submission, right? When you read this passage, it is not a heavy-handed command. What Paul writes to the Ephesians when he says, wives, submit to your husbands, it is not a heavy-handed commandment. It doesn't say, listen, it doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit. <laughs> Aren't you glad it says that? It doesn't say that? Because that would be a hard thing to do. I'd be out of luck if it said, husbands, make your wife submit. It doesn't say that. That's not my responsibility to make my wife submit. Husbands, we have lots of responsibilities. We'll get to that in a second. But it doesn't say, it's not heavy-handed. It doesn't say, husbands, make your wives submit, right? It says, and, and it says, wives, submit. 
And, and, and not only, do, it, it doesn't say wives obey your husbands, as it says children obey your parents. The relationship between husband and wife is much different between, than it is between parent and child. It's not an obedience. It doesn't say obey your, your husband, wives. The temperament of Paul's words is gentle as it's inspired by, by the Holy Spirit as he writes these things. It's not a grinding commitment, not only in its essence and in, and it, or it's in, in its expression. It's a beautiful submission. And one of the other things that I think is really important, this is where I, I, I need you all to listen because I think that this is one of those things that a part of this has been taken out of context. The passage says, wives submit to your own husband. This is very important to me because I have a young daughter who's going to date some knucklehead at some point. It doesn't say, girlfriends, submit to your boyfriends. It does not say that. It doesn't say, ladies, submit to every dude who walks in the room. Does not say that. It doesn't say that when the dude walks in, ladies, y'all be quiet. It says, wives, submit to your husband. There's a relationship there of mutual submission, and that's the proper context for that submission. And that's important to me. Because, again, this passage has been twisted and taken out of context in some dangerous ways, and it's, it, is, it, has been, it has been used to hurt women in lots of places. And it says, submit to your own husband, not to your, not to your best friend's husband, to your own husband. That's the relationship that it says. And so, so that, that, that picture is the first thing that it is, that it is uh, the first thing that it is a willing submission and it has a context for that submission, but it's also worshipful. And the second, and that's, that worshipful is, means this, that it says that as unto the Lord, or as you do to the Lord, right? So it's a worshipful submission. What it's saying is, God, I trust you as you lead him, I trust you. And so ultimately, yes, I'm submitting to him, but I, my ultimate submission is to you. I believe that you're good, that you see me, that you love me, you know my needs better than he does, will ever, and you are going to use him in a way that he doesn't even know to do the things that I'm supposed to, 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 to lead in a way that is godly in my home. It's a worshipful submission. It says, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. I trust you even more than I trust him. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to honor you in the way that I submit. It doesn't say anything about wives yield to your husbands because he's bigger and smarter and stronger. If that were the case, again, guys, not many of us would, would rank. But we're lucky that it doesn't have anything to do with our smarts. And those things that she defers in a thousand ways to us. She submits, your wife submits in a thousand ways to you, not because you're smarter or better, but because she's worshiping the Lord. She trusts his kindness, his faithfulness, believing that Christ will provide for her. It makes us remember, make sure that we remember as, as, as we write this, as we read through this, that this is not a new thing that Paul's writing. Paul's hearkening back to the, the design, the way that it was meant to be. The reason that Paul has to write these things to the Ephesians is because the world is broken by sin and the relationship that was began in the garden when, that, when God put Adam and Eve there, that that fracture of sin put those two in conflict from that moment on. 
And so the reason why he has to write this is to say the restorative order, the way that God designed this is pictured back in the garden. And this right here, what we're saying goes back to all the way to the garden before sin entered. When God looked at man and said, it's not good for him to be alone, so he made a helpmate for him. And in that helpmate, he didn't take, her, take him out of his foot so that he could lord over her or out of, out of his head so that she could lord over him, but out of his side so that they could walk together in this relationship. So it's worshipful and it's a willing submission. Now to the husbands, and this is where it gets thick. Honestly, dudes, if there's anybody that should bristle in this passage, it should be us. Now, it's easy for me to say that because I'm a dude, but, but other, other theologians, and, and specifically there's, there's a handful of, of female theologians and teachers that have said the same thing, kind of reading through this passage and just that bringing to light what's happening and what God calls men to in this passage. The one that truly has the, the, the bulk of the submission is truly not the wife. It's really the husband. Because listen to what it says. Picking up in 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now the church submits, now as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit to their husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's heavy. Listen, if you said lead, lead in your home, there may be challenging days, but I can handle that. I mean, I may not be the best leader, but I think I can handle leading. If you said provide and protect, meh, I know where Kroger is. I've got some nunchucks. I could probably take care of things. But it, does, it doesn't say those things. It says love the way that Christ loved the church, giving himself up for the ultimate submission, laying down your life. You see, Paul is writing this to a group of Ephesians who one author kind of points out that, that the, the marriage bond for these Ephesians is virtually meaningless. That, the, that what it means to be married to them is virtually meaningless. So, so to, that's the context that Paul's writing. And so what he's saying when he says, hey, listen, this is the way that I want you to, wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives the way that Christ loved the church, laying down his own life for her. He's taking a bare knuckle swing at the context and the culture and the way that marriage is seen in that culture. And honestly, if we take a step back and look at our culture, it's much the same way, right? We're so easy just to step away, to value it as nothing. But he's saying, I want you to take this seriously. I want you to do what the culture is not doing. I want you to do what your, maybe your friends, what you didn't see happen in, in, the family, in your family of origin. Maybe you didn't see a good picture of this. Maybe you don't see a good picture of your, from the people that are surrounding you in, in your neighborhood. Maybe, maybe in every other space in life, you don't see a good picture of this. And he's saying, I want you to take this seriously. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, lay your lives down. Love your wives the way that Christ loved the church. It is heavy what Paul is calling them to. And you think about what, 
what he's saying. He's not saying love her as Christ loved the church if she does these things for you. Because Christ laid down his life while we were yet sinners running away from him. I mean, think about the heaviness of, hey, I'm going to do what God's word says for me to do. I'm going to lay down my life for my wife, regardless of how she responds. Now, I love, there's a book called Love and Respect, and I love it. It's a great book. And he talks about how women need love and men need respect. But it doesn't say that I love my wife as Christ loves the church as long as she respects me. It doesn't say that. Because Christ loved us when we didn't respect him. He laid down his life when we were running away from him, when we were worshiping others, other gods, when we were worshiping ourselves, when we were all about our own pleasure and our own good, Christ laid down his life for us. Dudes, the responsibility that you carry, that we carry as husbands, is no laughing matter. First thing that he tells us to do is to be a servant, that Christ was a servant, right? That, that in the context, one, one pastor, F.F. Bruce, says this, that in the context, the word head in this passage has the idea of authority attached to it. So it does have the idea of authority, but it has the idea of authority after the analogy of Christ's headship over the church. So it, it, it falls in line. Christ's headship over the church, you as husbands have authority and headship here. And so marriage, what, what does that mean for the marriage headship? And so if you follow the illustration or the analogy that Paul is using here and to its conclusion, what it says is that husbands are to exercise headship in, in the same way that the Savior, in the same way that Jesus did as the Savior, as a servant leader laying down his life for his bride. Jesus says that he came not to be served, but to serve. That he says that the first will be last. The greatest among you will be the youngest and those who serve will be the first. When one author says this, that God help the man who thinks that headship is a license for dominance or lordship. That headship has its defined limits. That in relationship, that in, in this relationship, God, it never commands, excuse me, it can never command what God forbids or forbid what God commands it can never be used selfishly. Some of us, not, listen, I'm not pointing fingers. I'm pointing fingers this way. Some of us rec need to recognize that we've used our headship for selfish reasons, and we need to confess it and repent not only to the Lord, but to our bride. That we've been dominant in some ways that are not healthy and not godly, and we need to confess that to the Lord and to our bride and ask for forgiveness. Paul writes that we submit in everything. It's not a slavish obedience. It's what he, when, he's, when he says it's not a slavish obedience. It takes into account what, what God says and, and his words and it consistent with God's character. And, it, and it's those things that, that form us more into, his, into, into the picture of who he's made us, that not only is it servant, and our responsibility is to be a servant, but to live sacrificially, right? It's a sacrificial love where it says that I'm going to lay down my rights and I'm going to put the, your, your rights before my own, that it's a sanctifying love. And this is, this is beautiful, right? Guys, that when we love our wives the way that Christ loved the church, what does it say in verse 26? It says, he makes her holy and cleanses her with the washing of the word and presents a radiant church. So what does that mean? That when we love our wives, dudes, the way that Christ loved the church, they become 
become more like Christ. And some of us are longing for something. We're, we're, we're wanting something from our wives and we're being dominant in ways that is selfish. And Christ is saying, no, this is the way that you love. And when you love that, the things that you long for to see in your wife, those things are gonna happen, but it's not because you dominated, it's because you served. Your wife becomes more faithful. Your wife becomes more godly. She becomes more loving when you become a servant the way that God has called you to be a servant. We've all seen it in the opposite, right? Some beautiful girl, young lady who has all the promise in the world meets some loser, and it doesn't work that she becomes, he becomes less loser, right? It most often becomes she, she loses some of that beauty and some of that awesomeness and, and, and is dragged down that loser pathway that he was on. Not every dude in here is a loser, but most of you, you kind of, me, oh, most of us, most of us. Now listen, when we love our wives the way that Christ loved the church, they become more like Christ. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of relationship. It's steadfast. It's steadfast. It stays. What he says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and unite with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, two becoming one, meaning it can't be separated. What God has joined together should not be separated, right? And we go all the way back to Genesis where he says this is the establishment. This is the way that it's going to be. And he says it in, in, in the Gospels and other places, and Paul says it here. Why does he say it? Because this is a reestablishment that it's steadfast. It endures even through the hard days, even when it's not nice, even when it's complicated and it stinks. You're going to be steadfast. And in that steadfastness, it can grow because it knows that, that love can grow and, and our relationships can grow because we know that we're not going anywhere for better or for worse, for richer and poorer, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others from this day forward, we, we, from this day forward, as long as we both shall live. There's confidence in that steadfast love of God, the steadfast love of a husband who stays. And because we do that, we get to experience companionship. And I said this a second ago, one of the things that we long for, I know that husbands, wives, what we long for is this companionship. We long to, to have this closeness and this intimacy that, that with, our, with our spouse. And, and literally, we long for it, but we're pointing the fingers at them and saying, why don't you do this? When really, we should be pointing the fingers at ourselves and saying, am I being the type of leader, men, in my home that submits to the Lord, that's a servant, that, that, that lays his life down the way that Christ lays his life down? Ladies, when you want that kind of that kind of companionship and, and intimacy with your husbands that your heart longs for, then and are you looking at yourself and saying, am I submitting to him in, in a willing way and a worshipful way to the Lord? Because when we do those things, when we mutually submit, as it says in 21, that companionship that we long for begins to grow. And it's beautiful. So where do we find the love that our hearts are long for? We find it in following God's design for relationships. There's two more things that I want to make sure that we're aware of, and, and, and then we're going to transition. First is this. As great as the marriage relationship is, it is not the end-all, be-all. Right? Some of you will never be married and God has allowed, God, God has, has given you the gift of celibacy just like he's given others the gift of marriage. And, that, and that's, that, is, that is a gift from him. 
So marriage cannot be the pinnacle of relationships. And, and married couples will know this, that when we just, when we just, us two and no more, right, when we just kind of huddle into our deal and we ostracize ourselves from other community, Christian community, things begin to fall apart. I've watched it way too many times. We just need each other. Good luck. What you need is to surround yourself with other believers. That's what, what Angela and Mike said, is that when they made church a priority, they were surrounded by other believers. And why is that so important? Because other believers are doing the same things and walking through the same challenges, and you can support each other in those moments. I can have dudes call me out when I'm not treating my wife with the respect that she deserves and loving her the way that God's called me to love her. Wives, you can call out other wives. You can do that in that community, right? And that relationship can be stronger because of the community that surrounds it. Secondly, it's not only the community, but the love that you long for is never going to be found in the person that you're sitting next to. If you're married, the love that you long for is never going to be totally satisfying in the person that you sit next to. I don't care what Jerry Maguire says, they do not complete you. Jesus completes you. And so if you're looking for, to your spouse to do what only God can do, then you're worshiping, listen, you're idolizing your spouse in a way that is ungodly because God is the one who satisfies our hearts. And you gotta get that relationship right. It starts there. He's the one who satisfies us and he's given the gift of relationship for some to help grow that. For others, it may not be in the marriage relationship. It may be in community. And before you're married, then it certainly is in that community. Some of you have, have walked through some of the most painful trials in your life because you have looked to some boyfriend or some girlfriend to satisfy you. And over and over and over again, you've fallen down. And you're like, why is this working? Because you're idolizing a relationship. And God never meant it to be that. You're putting the stock in the wrong relationship. And it's time to get that straight. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family who may benefit from it. And make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you want to learn more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.